The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast or welcome if this is your first time listening. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 160. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. We also chat about overall wellness, vegan entrepreneurship topics, everything that is lifestyle related on this show. So thank you for your time. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're having an amazing day. I am. Got the diffuser going on my second cup of tea. The sun is shining. I'm just thankful. I'm grateful. So yes, on the show today, I have Sharonda, also known as the Cultivated Vegan. She's the host of the Cultivated Vegan podcast as well. So it was great to have this conversation with Sharonda. She is a health and wellness coach, plant-based nutritionist. She teaches women how to redefine health and get rid of toxic attachments and unhealthy habits. All of us can relate to that, right? We all kind of have some things that we need to work on. So in our conversation, we talk about why she decided to become vegan after a health diagnosis, being your own advocate when it comes to medical professionals. She was misdiagnosed multiple times. It took a long time for her to actually find out what was going on with her body. And so being there for ourselves And being our best advocate was so important in this conversation. It was an important reminder. We also talk about how to work on your confidence and tackling some of the issues that you may have in therapy and how that is really, really helpful. So, of course, the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode can be found at brownvegan.com. Also, make sure you go ahead and follow Sharonda on Instagram. Her handle over there is the Cultivated Vegan. So yes, hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think and let's go ahead and get into it. Well, my journey to veganism is rather long and complicated and actually accidental. And I'll try to keep give you the the shortest version that I can, but it, it has a lot of layers that that allowed me to end up doing what I'm doing. So it's a lot of it that's relevant. But I had my thyroid removed surgically after I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, hyperthyroidism. And then I also was diagnosed with thyroid eye disease or disorder, which is a basically a bulging of the eyeballs from its socket. And I was given two ways to rectify the situation. Either I could have my thyroid doctor said killed with a radiation iodine tablet, or I could have it surgically removed. But he suggested because my thyroid eye disease was so severe that the radio 
the radiation iodine would not be a good approach to take because he said it would make me look like a cartoon character. It would increase the bulging in my eyes and I would not be happy with him. So of course I had it surgically removed. And of course he told me that after having it removed, one of the complications would be the inability to regulate my calcium and my potassium. But he said, you know, everybody's body is different. And in about six months after taking supplements, you should be fine. But of course my body didn't get that memo and it likes to do what it likes to do in its own time. So eight months after my surgery, I was still having issues regulating the potassium and the calcium. Despite of the different adjustments to the medications, it was just not working. And I would find myself with these negative side effects and I would have to go to the doctor. And when they draw my blood, it's like, oh my gosh, we're glad you're here because you're almost toxic. You know, I'm having too much in my body and it's dangerous. And then they would make some adjustments and I'd go back and they're like, oh my gosh, we're glad you're here because now you're critical. You're almost critical and that could be fatal. So I just kept going from one extreme to the next and there was no in between. So one afternoon I started the tingling and the numbness and I knew what was going on. My calcium is low. And normally I'd start taking the tums like they told me, but it just wasn't working. And I decided to go to the emergency room. I didn't think I could make it the next day to the doctor's office. And I live in a really small rural community in the South. And I was going to go to a, I was going to bypass our first hospital and go to a second one about an hour away because this hospital, no shade to it because I actually have worked there before. It's just not equipped to handle any complications. So I was just going to bypass that Mm -hmm. hospital and go to the one that was an hour away because it was slightly bigger, but I couldn't because by the time I got there to, you know, to the first hospital, my hands had clasped closed. I had to drive with my elbows. My feet were cramped over. My face was contorted. You know, I was having migraines, nausea. It was just so severe. I had to stop at that hospital. And after taking my lab, they realized, oh yeah, you are definitely critical. They panicked like I knew they would, and they were going to airlift me. They were actually going to bypass the hospital that I was going to and go to one that was farther away. They were going to airlift me there. But once again, you know, with my life and all, a thunderstorm just out of the blue came about and and while they were, you know, telling me all of this information and we could not fly. So the helicopter could not fly mm. because of the all of the lightning. And so against that, you know, I couldn't just stay there because they were afraid that I was gonna go into some type of cardiac arrest or something at any moment. And so they put me on the in the back of an ambulance. And I went an hour, about 30 miles an hour, it seems like on the highway to this hospital. And I was, I was in so much pain and it, I I was trying to suppress a lot of anxieties. I guess I'm going to overshare here, but I have anxieties about not driving. I don't like to be passenger, the passenger in a vehicle. I hydroplane one time and I have anxiety about driving in the rain. I don't like to drive at night, right? So I had all of these things. And then in the back of my head, I'm wondering, you know, even though I'm in the care of medical professionals, am I going to have a cardiac arrest on my way there? And I'm in such severe pain that of course I'm calling out to God now, like, oh my God, please help me help me. Please help me to help me. You know, I was having my Fannie Lou Hamer moment. I was just at that point so sick and tired of being sick and tired because even though I was eight months post having my thyroid removed, this was like year number three of me being sick. 
because I went about 12 or 13 months being misdiagnosed. And even though I am a nurse and I'm talking to other medical professionals, I'm talking to doctors, you would think I was respected while I'm telling them my signs and symptoms, but I wasn't. But that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. I literally had doctors staring me in my face, telling me, no, those are not the symptoms that you're having. You feel this. You don't feel that, mm. you know, because it didn't line up with the diagnosis that they wanted to give me. And so I t- I was misdiagnosed by five different doctors. And doctor number six was the first one who finally listened to me. So that's why I am a big advocate on being your biggest advocate and, and, and getting second, third, fourth. And in my opinion, even six opinions, if you have to, in my case, six opinions. So it's year number three. I'm in the back of this ambulance and I am so tired. I get to the hospital, you know, they do what they have to do. I'm discharged a day later. And when I got home, I was everything researching because I wanted to do what I could to kind of help my body, either regulate this calcium and this potassium. And I just couldn't go through another episode of that. So in my research of learning what I needed to do, everything kept leading me back to diet. Everything kept leading me back to diet. And I started through the process of elimination. They told me to eliminate red meat, caffeine, alcohol, soda, you know, salt, all of those things. So while I'm eliminating, I'm adding the spinach and the kale and the collards and the OJ, you know, I'm adding things in and I eliminated red meat and pork at the same time. And then I eliminated poultry and turkey, chicken, you know, all of those things. And I was pescatarian for a little while, only eating the seafood. Then I read something about about mercury. And I'm like, that's gone too. Like I didn't care because I'd been sick for so long, right? I'm just willing to give up anything. And with every improvement, everything I took away, I was noticing the improvement and I was starting to feel good. So of course that's fuel also. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling normal. I'm feeling better. I'm going back to the doctor. Of course, I didn't tell them what I was doing because I didn't think they would approve of it, but they were saying my numbers were looking better. And so I'm being fueled now. And I eventually I'm vegetarian and I'm good. I'm good. So I go out to dinner for my birthday in September, Libra gang. And so I'm out to dinner with my my girlfriends and they're giving me a hard time because they knew I was a seafood queen and I'm taking it in stride. I could care less because for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling good. I come home and I'm on my birthday high and I'm trying to get on the internet just to look at what vegetables vegetarian meal I'm going to have for my dinner tomorrow. And I come across an article that's talking about the dangers of dairy. And I almost lost it. Because up until then, I was fine giving away everything because with every, like I told you, everything that I gave up, I was feeling well. I was good. I was healthy. I'm okay. But at the same time, when I gave up something, I had something left. When I gave up red meat. I had pork and everything else. And when I gave up pork, I had chicken. When I gave up chicken, I had seafood, you know? So now I'm down to bare bones or so I'm thinking. And my community is not being friendly. I can still socialize and have my pasta and my pizza and all of those things. And that's the last thing I was familiar with. So now you're telling me I have to give up cheese and I have to give up eggs and I have to give up milk. Like what? And so I was being facetious that night. I was upset. I was angry. And I was like, if I can't eat meat, if I can't eat dairy, what the bleep can I eat? I typed that in my laptop and I didn't mm-hmm. type in bleep because <laughs> I'm mad now because I'm doing all the things and it's still not good enough. And 
So they like, oh, well, something about congratulations, you're vegan. I don't remember what it said, but I thought vegan at this time, this was like six years ago, I still thought vegan and vegetarian was the same thing. And so that started me to looking into veganism. And when I started looking into it and it's like, oh, well, people don't, they abstain from all animal products, not in their food, not on their body, you know, not in the clothing, not in their cosmetics. Not, I'm like, is this even sustainable? Is this possible? Who out here lives? Right. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? I need to see them. Right. So, so I'm Googling who is vegan and I'm looking at faces because I need to know, I need to know if this exists, if this for real. And I still couldn't believe it. And I couldn't relate to it because none of them look like me. So I had to get a little even more specific. I was like, I need to see some black people who are vegan. Where are they? And then I saw that, you know, Coretta Scott King was an animal activist and she was vegan. And the young lady, Persia, Persia White from Girlfriends was vegan. And John Sally and yes. Badu with I was like, okay, <laughs> so they do exist. <laughs> you know? Right. This isn't like a theory. <laughs> <laughs> they do exist. They're not, this is not a myth. So then I went on social media and I'm looking for groups, and, you know, because I needed people that look like me because I felt like I could identify with them. If they could do this, I could do it. And I saw that there were groups and, and pages and organizations. And I like, okay, well, I have I just bought some cheese and stuff, so I'm not gonna throw this away. <laughs> so we're gonna finish this out and then we're gonna be vegan. And that's my long, complicated accidental story to veganism. <laughs> Wow. Oh my goodness. So the health, oh my God, the health. Let me ask you this because, okay. So I know that you said, of course you went from, you know, eating standard American to eating pescatarian. And then you went and started to, to do the research and saw the cheese or the dairy issue. But what made you think that you still had to change at that point? Because like you said, you were already feeling good without eliminating dairy. So what made you think that, because a lot of people would be like, oh, so I'm good, you know? So what made you think that you need to keep going? I wanted sustained health and everything that I was reading was like this whole food plant-based was long-term, you know, health and reversing things and preventing things. And, and you know, I read that the da dairy had potentially, you know, could potentially have cancerous effects and it just had negative effects attached to it. And I felt like I had done all of this work to make it so far. I didn't want to be doing anything that was going to reverse it. So although I was apprehensive and I was angry about it, I was still going to do it because like I said, we're three years into this thing and I'm feeling, finally started feeling normal. And the last thing that I wanted to do was to think I'm helping myself, but in actuality, I'm not. Yeah, that makes plenty of sense. So were you someone who cooked a lot? Like, how did you, I know you, did you grow up in the South or you just live there now? I, no, I've been here my entire life. <laughs> okay. So how, how was eating? Yeah. Like, where, how did you eat growing up? <laughs> Poorly. A lot of pork, a lot of, a <laughs> lot of pork, but we also ate a lot of vegetables too, because my father has been a farmer my entire life. He is 88 years old. And last year was the first year of my life that he did not have a garden. His garden's you know, got progressively wow. smaller with each year, but we always had vegetables, greens, collards, mustards, turnips, potatoes, pe peanuts, corn. We just, you know, bell peppers. We just always had vegetables. So I was familiar with that. But at the same time, we had a lot of fried foods and everything was fried from the chicken to the pork chops, to the fish, to everything is yeah. fried almost every single day. Everything is smothered. Everything's covered in grease. And then there's a bunch of pork. So 
my meat, my meals were meat heavy and, you know, we had the vegetables, but even mm-hmm. they were just meat heavy. Sometimes our peas would have more meat than yes. peas, you know? <laughs> so, but I grew up eating a lot of, uh, a lot of meat, but I ate a lot of vegetables and a lot of sugar and, and sodas and all of those things. A lot of Southern, traditional Southern food. Yeah, this is so relatable because I ate, I grew up the same way. My dad always grew a lot of our food too, no mm-hmm. matter where we lived. And But I still had the standard American diet. Like you said, everything was smothered, everything fried and good and <laughs> all of that stuff. So this is so relatable. I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Even if you didn't necessarily grow up like that in your house, mm-hmm. you have family mm-hmm. that cook that way. So exactly. it's, it's, yeah, it's very relatable. Yeah. So how, as far as cooking though, because I mean, like you said, you found this whole new world (laughs) after you got over the anger of like, Oh, I have to change something (laughs) else. How, how did that look for you as far as like cooking and, you know, putting meals together? Were you somebody who did that often already or how did that look? I did do a lot of cooking because I raised my son as a single mom. I separated from his dad when he was really young and I struggled financially. So we did not have the luxury of a lot of fast food. So I would have to cook in order to make the meal stretch. You know, I would have to cook to save money. So I cooked often. However, I absolutely had to pretty much throw everything out that I knew, or not everything, most of what I knew out and start over. But I was excited about it. My mm-hmm. journey when I started cooking and I was vegan, all of my coworkers, I got on their nerves because I was making everything. <laughs> I was making just everything from scratch and I absolutely loved it. It fueled cooking used to cause me anxiety. It really did, but it actually became a place for me to relieve stress. So now cooking, even if the meal, if I have to cook it in, then I, you know, my cake is a rock and I have to throw it in the garbage. I'm still okay. Just being in that kitchen brings me relief and, and joy and it's a stress reliever. Yes. It's so therapeutic. It I love that. I love that. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you because I know that this is a big part of the work that you do on your podcast and on your blog and just sharing on social media is the importance of like confidence and self-love and just overall wellness. Like you're really good into like this holistic approach to just your brand, which I think is so important. What do you want to share about confidence? Like how do we start to show up for ourselves? And I know sometimes it's like, you would think that we get to a certain age and it's like, we already just have this confidence and everything's amazing. But we know that that is not always <laughs> no, the case. That is usually, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that is it's usually, something that we kind of have to build exactly, on. Exactly. Yeah, it's something we have to build on. It's something that we have to continuously work on. So share your experience with like anything you want to share as far as getting to the point in your life where you feel like you're more confident in suggestions that you have for other people to, you know, Feel their best selves as well. It took me and I know that's kind of about it. I know that's about it. Okay, <laughs> a lot. I know. It, it took me a while to say that I, you know, gained that confidence, and I will have to say that I'm still on that journey. You know, I haven't attained it. I haven't arrived, but I'm still pressing toward that mark. A lot of my passion for self esteem and self confidence comes from both my personal experiences growing up, because I truly lack self esteem, and I feel like my issue. Issues 
because of that, my issues with my self-esteem and my low self-worth was the was the root cause of a lot of the poor decision makings that I made in life. And I saw that as a nurse in because I worked in the maternal child ward, which consisted of pediatrics, labor and delivery, nursery and postpartum postpartum. So my patients were female. Either they were, some of them were young and married. Some of them, you know, were in their second phase of their life, you know, middle age or beyond. But most of them were young women. And I saw everything from the overwhelmed mother with the new child, you know, first time mother to the overwhelmed mother who has four or five kids to the ones who were in the toxic relationships. And we have to call security and the police officers for to the one who had dedicated their whole life to their family or someone and now they have to, you know, start over in a season and they wouldn't they couldn't handle that. And my care of these young ladies extended farther than just going in and administering medication and taking vital signs. I would listen to their stories and I would have to you know, a lot of times offer consolations and a shoulder for them to cry on. And I found that a lot of it was based on a lack of self-worth, a lack of self-love and a lack of self-confidence. You know, a lot of these young ladies, when mm. I'm talking to them and wondering, asking them, why are you in this, you know, this toxic and this abusive relationship? And they're like, oh, well, he was the first person to make me feel like somebody. He was the first person to tell me he loved me. He was the first person that, you know, made me feel special. And, and I'm wondering how sad, because that should have been our parents' job, that should have been in our home, that should have been our family. You know, and even if we didn't have that, at some point it should be our jobs to make ourselves feel loved. And you know, that's easier said than, than done. But when I, there's right. some quotes that I heard read on the internet, if you live for someone's acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. The thing is, you know, if we're always looking for love and out from an outside force or validation for somebody else, then it's we're depending on that, right? They're the ones that's going to bring us joy and they're in control of our happiness. And so it's important for us to find our self-love and our self-worth and our confidence so we can have it regardless of who we're attached to, what titles we have, what job we have, how much money we have in the bank. It's important for us to be confident in ourselves because the love that we show ourselves, the confidence that we have for ourselves, it exudes out there to others. And that's what is reflected back to us. We attract what we put out there, I believe. Absolutely. So, so true. So I always tell y'all that you can truly enjoy everything you love as a vegan. That includes cookies. That's why I'm working with Maxine's Heavenly for this episode of the show. I told y'all before about their super soft cookies, but today we're going to talk about how much I love their new line of crispy homestyle cookies. Like the super soft ones, the crispy cookies are sweetened with natural, unrefined sugar. They don't have a million ingredients and they're gluten free. Don't let the gluten free scare you away because you do not sacrifice on taste and they definitely take care of your sweet tooth. My favorite ones are the chocolate chip because, of course, I love chocolate. Also, I feel like every time I bite into it, it's a chocolate chip in each bite. It's just so crispy. It's just really good together. My son Elijah approves. You all know that's my picky eater. He said we should get more boxes. So make sure you head on over to MaxinesHeavenly.com and use the discount code BROWNVEGAN to save 25% on your first purchase. That's MaxinesHeavenly.com, discount code BROWNVEGAN as one word. I'll also be sure to link them in the show notes and blog posts for this episode. 
So what steps do you suggest for someone to start to work on that? You know, work on the self-esteem, work on building their confidence. Well, I know one of the things that we can do is just to accept yourself for where you are, your flaws and your imperfections. We all have them. None of us are perfect. You know, what I may consider to be a flaw or imperfection may be a cute quirk to somebody else. But it's important that we mm-hmm. accept ourselves, every inch of us, even if it's not the best, even if it's an ugly version, even if we may be hurt and injured and toxic and whatever. It's important for us to just accept accountability and ownership of it. Okay. But the second part of that is to not only do we just, you know, accept me while this is who I am and I'm going to stand in it, but we also have to be willing to put in the work to continuously evolve and grow. It's okay for me to be where I am in life, whatever stage that may be, but it's also important that I put in the work to try to be, you know, to try to improve and work on myself. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to press toward the mark of, you know, operating from a spirit of excellence. Perfection does not exist. And if we're trying to be that perfect person, you're going to fail every time. So it's important that you always work uh, Mm -hmm. toward a a spirit of excellence because excellence is evolving. You know, just be the best version of you that you are right now. And that's going to be different this year from next year. And that's going to be different. You know, I'm at the stage that I am right now. It's the best version of me right now, but it's not the same version of me last year. And I'm hoping that next year, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be a better version still. And yes. uh, another, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. And then also we have, to be, <laughs> we have to be kind to ourselves and forgiving of ourselves. We often extend so much grace and so much consideration for other people, even when they hurt us, even when they mistreat us, even when they abuse us and use us, you know, we still are willing to forgive them and open up our hearts to them and accept that. But we are so critical of ourselves and the mistakes that we make. We don't extend our the same grace. So it's important for us to, you know, accept who we are, continue to change, and then also be willing to forgive ourselves for, for whatever shortcomings we have or whatever failures that we have done in life. It's hard to be confident if you're filled with guilt and shame of your past or things that you've done. Amen to that. Yes. Like I feel like as someone who has, I carry around a lot, not as much as I used to Mm -hmm. guilt and shame and therapy has been so, so helpful for me to just dig through there. It's been hard too, really hard, but just necessary because it's so hard to like envision a better life for yourself when you carry that, that weight. Cause that's exactly what it feels like this mental and physical weight that you carry around when you don't take care of yourself and when you don't address a lot of those deep-rooted issues that a lot of us can probably relate to having. It is, and it holds us hostage when we're trying to move forward forward and move on. We have to be able to shed that weight, be able to Mm -hmm. shed it. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I would like to just say is to celebrate ourselves. You know, whatever accomplishment you made, just, you know, whether how big or how small, learn to celebrate you. And I don't mean go out and spend money and buy something we can't afford. I mean, just verbally say, you know, sis, you're doing a good job, sis. You're doing a good job. You know, sometimes (laughs) it's just that. Sometimes it's just a pat on our back. Sometimes it's just to look at that mirror and say, girl, you rock today. You did that. 
that, you know, just like you just celebrate the fact that you went to therapy. I did therapy last year. I started therapy and that was a big deal for me. I've dealt with my mental health and depression Mm -hmm. my entire life, but I just voluntarily, I've had to go forced to go to therapy before to keep my son so I wouldn't lose custody of him. But I just voluntarily went to therapy last year and I celebrated that. I mean, I got, I was a part of a a 12 month mentorship program and I got in my group and went live and I was like, guys, I went to see my therapist. (laughs) I celebrated, (laughs) you know, something that I did for myself. So when you went to therapy this time around, of course, it's going to be a better (laughs) feeling about it because you wanted to do it. Mm Before, when you were kind of forced to go to therapy, is it, did you feel like there was like, because I know this is something that I feel like it's getting better, but in our community, you know, we don't really embrace therapy the way that we should overall. So did you feel like some pressure about that? Is that why before when you had to go? You didn't really want to? Before I had to go, it was following a second suicide attempt. I have two suicide attempts. And the second one, they were like, you know what? Yeah, you need to go and see someone if you want to continue to raise your child. And to me, it was a, a combination of a combination of things. One, the embarrassment of I felt like I guess I put unnecessary stress and pressure on myself and expectations that at that point in my life, I would be in a different space. I, You would not have told me mm-hmm. at 23, 24 years old that I would have been a single mom on welfare, welfare still living in the South. Mm-hmm. No, I, you could not have made me believe that five years earlier. And here I am, a single mom mm-hmm. struggling, struggling. I mean, we weren't just on the struggle bus. I was driving it. You know, we were on that bus and mm-hmm. there were times we didn't have lights and we didn't have heat in the winter and, and, and air in the summer and we didn't have food a lot of the times. And so it was the embarrassment that I felt as a mother not being able to provide for my son and, and just wanting a way and escape out and figuring if I was gone, that my son would be in a better place. And when I, you know, the second time and I had to do the the therapy, now that's an embarrassment because not only am I a failure at life, I'm a failure as a parent, I'm a failure, you know, I can't even kill myself. You know, that's what I was thinking, like literally, like how how big of a failure can you be? And now the world is going to know that I'm crazy. Right now they're going to know that something mm. I knew something was wrong with her. You know, I knew it, you know. And so it, I, I it, it, to me, it was so much stigma associated with therapy. I was in there with other people who really ha- I'm not going to say who really had me, who had different mental disorders, you know, ones that were different from mine. Mm. And it just it just affected an already fragile self-esteem that I had. And so it just me being in therapy was just like another check mark on my, another list item of my failure. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as far as your depression, do you also, cause I kind of get the anxiety too, based mm-hmm. on some of the things you said, are you working these days on managing depression and anxiety or is it just mainly the depression? It's mainly depression. Anxiety is occasional, but depression is an everyday wow. thing. And I now in retrospect, when I look back, I can remember being depressed even as a child. I lost my birth mother when mm-hmm. I was 11 years old. And I feel like 
like I a lot of my issues stem from the fact that I never received counseling. You know, it was just expected for you to move on. I even had family members like, oh, my gosh, your mom is dead. How long is it going to take for you to get over that? You know, but these were other adults. So oh, wow. I felt like I was just really forced. My, when I, you know, well, anyway, I just really felt, felt like I was forced to move on too quickly. But when I, so I, I, I accredited a lot of my depression to that, I, you know, but when I think back before my mom even passed, when I was a small, small child, I can remember being in my room crying for no reason. I can remember just being yeah. sad all the time. And I remember s- distinctly one afternoon when I was crying and I didn't even know why I was crying. And she just knew somebody had did something to me and I was afraid to tell her. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a family member killed because she thinks somebody has touched me yeah, or right. done something to me and I'm just scared to tell her. And I couldn't, as a child, I could not articulate that there's nothing wrong, but I'm just sad. I was trying to tell her that there's nothing wrong, but I'm just sad. So I can remember even as a child being depressed. And then as you know, again, as you grow older and you experience life as all of us will, and we're going to have the things that come along with life and just adding to that and having no coping skills, not knowing how to deal with life and all of the things that come along with it. It's just, just, just (sighs) compounded. But right now at this day, yeah, yeah, I still deal with depression, but now I know how to verbalize my feelings. I know how to set healthy boundaries. I know when it's time for me to separate myself, when I need to tell someone no, when I need to say not right now, when I need to accept, when I know how to accept when I'm not having a good day, I know how to prioritize myself and I know when to go and ask for help. This is too much for me. I can't Mm -hmm. handle this by myself. Let me take off my superhero cape, right? I used to I'm a, I struggle with super, you know, black strong black woman syndrome. I have I don't have to fix all things now. I don't have to be strong all the time. I can have my moments, and so I know how to go and get help now. So I mostly manage depression mm-hmm. with occasional, you know, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's so interesting because I can also remember struggling with depression a lot in my teen years and Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize it for what it was at the time. I was diagnosed when I was about 21, Mm -hmm. but when I was about 14, 15, I just thought I was moody, (laughs) just (laughs) always moody. And I can relate to just the sleeping and just the crying and not knowing why why I was crying, all of that. And I just felt I I never wanted to really talk about it because mm-hmm. first of all I didn't have the language for exactly. it exactly and then secondly I just I was ashamed you know mm-hmm. embarrassed about it so I think that a lot of, a lot of people can relate to that too as far as you know depression and, and anxiety anxiety is actually worse for me than my depression oh wow the really? anxiety is just like whew, it's, yeah <laughs> it's pretty bad but oh. yeah I'm just so thankful that you're sharing your experience because I know that it will help other women who are listening to this. Anything else you want to share about confidence or self-love or anything in that space that you want to go to before we kind of jump into something else? No, just making sure I... I I feel like you covered a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just want to reiterate the importance of prioritizing yourself and your feelings, not being you know, not disregarding everyone else's feeling, feelings, you know, I'm not saying just be walk around the world being selfish, but also not disregarding your own. 
Yeah. Because if he can't show up for you, how can you show up for anyone else, right? You can't. (laughs) You cannot. You can't. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So I know for your, your brand, you like to focus on faith food, fitness, family, finances, fun, all of the different yeah. pillars that you like to focus on. What made you decide to just start start a podcast? I know, did you start what, in 2021 or was it the end of 2020? When did you start your show and why? I started in 2020, well, 2021, no, 2020, 2020, 2020. And I started it, I'll tell uh-huh. you, okay, because I really felt that I had a message. I felt like I had a message, especially, like I tell you, with my experiences with the young women. And I found myself just in there so much and giving out so much advice. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I have a ministry here. I have a ministry to to help women to cultivate confidence, to believe in their beauty and to fall in love with themselves. And how can I get this message out? And for me, with my limited resources and exposure, I'm thinking faith. I'm thinking church, right? Because that's where I am we, in the South. We're just big on Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, so I was thinking, okay, this the way that I'm going to do this is I have to become a minister <laughs> and I have to get ordained and I have to go do the church circuit. Like I can do Christian con- women's conferences and all of those things. And my son actually introduced me to podcast and okay, but still the first podcast I listened to were still Christian. They were like Joel Osteen, I think, and Joyce Meyer, Stephen Furtick. It was just Christian podcast. And <laughs> we took a trip to Tennessee and we, it was like nine, 10 hours. And I think I had podcast him out Christianly. He was like, look, there are other podcasts <laughs> out there. You do realize that. <laughs> I was like, huh? <laughs> I had to, he was done. <laughs> and he, and I was bad. like, I was like, podcast on what? He was like, pick a topic. And I say veganism. And then that's really how I came across your podcast. And so he picked some podcasts. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. So you mean like I don't have to be a pastor? Like everyday people, like normal people, they could just start a podcast. You don't need like a talk show and all. He's like, no. And so that's what got my gears to, to going. I was like, okay. That may be a method of how I can get my message out there. I can do a podcast. Mm-hmm. But then I kept wondering, can I really do a podcast? But Monique was telling me every single time I tuned in that you can do this. <laughs> you can start a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and she was I answering. Love that. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. And you were answering all the questions that I had. Like you were just diving in every time you had somebody on and you were like, well, what platform do you use? And how do you monetize yours? And what how do you get your sponsors? And <laughs> anyway, I was just jotting it down. Like, <laughs> I, I was just bitching. I can't help it. You know, I got to know all the tea. I got to know everything. <laughs> you were just asking all the questions that I need to see here. And I'm just taking notes. And afterwards, I was like, well, yeah, I can do this. And that is how I started my podcast. <laughs> I love this. I love it. So do you, I know that you do solo episodes and you do interviews. So anything you're looking forward to for the new year, because your podcast, of course, is a holistic approach, just like everything you do. So you're just talking about Mm -hmm. a little bit of everything to live our best lives. So any goals or anything you're looking forward to in the next few years with your show? 
Oh, just getting the message out for, especially in our community, not just our community, but especially in our community to prioritize our health and not just, you know, our tagline is because healthy is more than just how much you weigh and what size you wear. And I want us to get Mm -hmm. outside of that. Like it's healthy is more than that. How are, you know, that's when we go back to my six C's of holistic health. How healthy is your relationship with your creator, right? Your faith. Do you have a foundation for life? How healthy is your relationship with food? Are you using it as fuel or is he using that as a companion? Are you using it as a comfort, a crutch, right? How healthy is that relationship? How healthy is your relationship with movement? Do you know the importance? We don't just, I mean, exercising is good for weight loss, but it also helps us with stress and anxiety. It helps us with pain. It helps our heart. You know, how healthy is your relationship with your fitness, with your family? dynamics do you have a healthy connection with your with your kids with your co-workers you know are you struggling and feeling thoughts of isolation do you you know are you walking around with a chip on your shoulder you know just are you able to effectively communicate how healthy is your relationship with your finances are you spending every dime you have to make yourself feel good are we are you living a Beyond your means, you know, are, do you know the importance of budgeting? Do you know that everybody is saying you only live once, but we will, if we, if we, the only way we don't, what's that, what's that song? The only way you don't get old is if you die young. So if you're going to yeah. live once, we want to make it a healthy, long one time around this life, this planet. And as a nurse, when I'm talking to my, my patients now, the, the, the population of patients that I talk to primarily are geriatric patients. They're older. And the regrets that I get the most is I wish I had handled my body better. I wish I had handled my Mm. finances better, right? Are you saving and preparing for a future? Because if we don't die today, we're going to live tomorrow and we need to be prepared for that. Are we even saving? And so, and how happy, healthy is your relationship with yourself for fun? Do you know how to celebrate you? Do you know how to really honestly enjoy life and have a good time? And it's not tied into our titles, who we're attached to, how much money we make. Can you just enjoy life? And so that's what my podcast is about. And I hope my goal is to just get people excited about approaching life holistically not just wondering, you know, how do I look? You know, how am I shaped? How much do I weigh? How, you know, how much was my wig? You know, how, are my edges laid? Like all of that is cute. <laughs> you know, all of that is cute and, and good. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not going to matter in the end because you can have all the things. You can have all the things and still be depressed and still be suicidal and still be alone and still be lonely. You can have the ring, you can have the companion, we can drive the cars and still be unhappy. And it's until we learn how to look at life from a holistic perspective of health, you know, we will, we won't be happy. So that's my goal is to have us excited and educated on approaching life holistically. I love it. Oh my goodness, this is so good. Tell us how we can listen to your podcast or anything else that you want us to do. 
to support well, you? So the first thing that I'm excited about is my brand new group coaching program, and it's called Bloom. And it's also centered around the six seeds of holistic health, which my podcast and my business is centered around faith, food, fitness, family, finances, and fun. It's 12 weeks, and I teach two weeks on each one of those subjects. Say, for instance, in the the seed of faith. We will discuss who does God say that we are, learning how to find our identity in Christ, You know, not finding our identity by who social media says we are, what social media say I should look like, what they say I should drive, who they say I should be, You know, but going back to our creator. And then the second week would be knowing God as a father, knowing him as Abba, you are not a fatherless child. So some of us may not have had relationships with our father. And sometimes that stems to problems later on, but just knowing that we do have someone who loves us and we can call father and we can still get leadership and guidance and direction from. And then I, you know, I cover all of the seeds. I spend two weeks live teaching one hour on each one of those. We have master classes. We have a vegan meal plan, an exercise program. It's just a ton, a lot of things that I'm excited about. And you can get more information on that at bit.ly forward slash get ready to bloom. That's bit.ly forward slash get ready to bloom. And then as far as the podcast, it's available on all podcast platforms and it's called The Cultivated Vegan. And my social media handles are the same, Instagram, Facebook. I am The Cultivated Vegan. Yes, Rhonda, thank you so much for being on the show. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for being so open about your experiences and and giving us some amazing tips on how to build ourselves up as well. Like you said, it's always going to be a journey. We'll never feel like it's over. So that's a good thing. That was like the biggest takeaway from this. It's always going to feel like you'll never reach it. Just something that we're always progressing towards. Yeah. But that's okay. (laughs) It reminds me of a quote that I heard from Andre Shields and the last part of that quote, but I'm going to say this because I know we're trying to wrap it up, but he says, surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when you walk into a room slowly is the fastest way to where you want to be. And the top of one mountain is the bottom of the another one so continue to climb and I just just love those quotes and so that's what I go by that's my new mantra now and so I'm not going to attain it part of it is just the journey itself you know just always trying to improve yes thank Mm -hmm. you for that thank you so much for being on the show and of course I'll (laughs) link to all of your stuff in the show notes of course I'll link to all of your links and everything at brownvegan.com I'll link to to everything on my website thank you so much for having me Monique thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show if you're enjoying the podcast be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us also tell a friend be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag brownvegan thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you next week At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.